Are you ready to break free from stress, burnout, and overwhelm? Hey, I'm Kelly Villarreal, and this is Connect to Calm. I'm a yoga and mindfulness teacher on a mission to help people just like you overcome burnout and chronic stress so that you can thrive. Join me each week for inspiring conversations full of practical tips and strategies to help you show up in your life with balance and equanimity. Ready to connect to calm? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Connect to Calm podcast. I am your host, Kelly Villarreal. I am here today with a couple of really special guests that I'll introduce to you in just a second. But before we do that, um, I'll just remind you to, on whatever platform you're listening, please take a moment to like, leave a rating, leave a review, and to share to help us grow organically. Um, I am here today with um, an old friend and a new friend, um, Kelly Nickish and Jennifer Scanlon, um, to talk about the topic of women, stress, and menopause. Both of these gals have some really awesome expertise, and I'm so excited to hear from both of you. Um, I know you're both partnering on some events locally here in Bellingham, Washington, and also it's, this is a really sweet full circle moment for me to have both of you um, as guests to talk about this topic because Kelly... Um, I originally met you in the 200-hour teaching program at Bellingham Yoga Collective, so it's really, really um, I, like an indescribable feeling <laughs> to see you like coming into your own gifts as a teacher and to um, hear about some of these things. So I'd love to turn it over to both of you um, and just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how the two of you kind of came together and worked together. Um, I guess we could start with Jen. Do you do you prefer Jen or Jennifer before we go too far into this conversation? Uh, I usually go by Jennifer, but I don't. It's, it's... Okay. Um, we'll tell. Let's start here, and if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, and then what inspired you to kind of start your practice and how you got started on the path you're on to, but I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So I am Jennifer Scanlon. I'm a board certified OBGYN. Um, I graduated from med school 17 years ago. So I have 17 years of experience. Um, I started in group private practice and have my practice has slowly evolved from reproductive aged women um, to now perimenopausal and menopausal women. Um, and that's one of the interesting things about being an OBGYN is that you can sort of follow your own health. And so all of it remains um, pertinent to myself, which makes it interesting. And I have some skin in the game. Um, menopause in particular, I became uh, aware of two things. One, the need for menopause care. Um, so I was staffing a pretty small GYN clinic on Friday Harbor, and I was getting patients from the primary care doctors um, who were in their mid fifties and they were seeing me just for hormone replacement therapy refills because their primary mm. care doctors didn't feel comfortable even writing refills and felt like they needed the permission of an OBGYN to write the refills. And I was like, oh, we have a significant deficit um, in education and comfort with hormones here and in such a small community. So that was the, really when I started to see the need. And then of course, after you see the need and you start paying attention, the stigma becomes incredibly obvious. <laughs> and um, so I usually tell the story of my friend, my good friend, who's an OBGYN, um, who's probably, 
52, I was out to dinner with him and his wife and his wife starts talking about how she has heart palpitations and she's been to all these doctors and she can't really figure out what's going on. And I say, you know, it could be perimenopause. And the, the look of fright that came over his face, like, oh no, no, not yet. And I was like, really? You know, you're an OBGYN and, and, you've, and you've subscribed to the stigma. So much that you're, you know, wow. afraid that your wife is perimenopausal. It's like, what is he thinking? That she's like going to get old, that sex isn't going to be good anymore, that she's going to shrivel up. And so then my second real mission is, you know, helping to sort of challenge that stigma. Yeah. And so I started this little clinic in Bellingham where that's really what I focus on is uh, mostly perimenopausal women. But uh, my community efforts are getting us talking about it, learning about it and destigmatizing it so we don't all feel so alone and crazy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot that you said that I want to come back to through this conversation. <laughs> um, so I'm already taking notes. Um, Kelly, I know how you started into yoga teacher train or into yoga teaching, um, but how did you kind of wind up on this path towards supporting menopause with yoga? My goodness, it's really quite surreal. Just like you were saying, the the feeling that you're getting today having us on is just, I really can't believe that it's come full circle because when I started my 200 hours, it was for my own personal practice. And I really didn't even think I wanted to teach or that that was my path. Um, and so 17 years ago, I became a mom. It's almost 17 years. Um, so I'm a 44 year old woman. And I'm a wife, a mom, a friend, a sister, a daughter, an aunt, like all the things that we, um, when you meet someone, oftentimes you're like, oh yeah, Kelly, she's a yoga teacher, right? Like I'm so many different things. And as I age, I am exploring more and more as to who I am. Um, and that for sure was just the, the blossoming of my 200 hours. And so when I finished, I knew instinctively right away that I wanted to continue learning and doing my 300 hours and just deepen my practice of yoga and what that means on and off the mat. Um, and so I've been practicing yoga, like a student of yoga for over 20 years. I did prenatal yoga when I was pregnant. Um, and when my kids were little, I didn't have the time or the, the resources to go to a studio. So I've just honestly had a practice at home by myself. Um, and so sharing it and like being a part of a community was definitely something new, especially coming like out of the pandemic was really when I did my teacher training. And so that felt mm -hmm. really, um, really brave to be able to step into the studio and, um, and learn with our community. And then, um, Jennifer, we've known each other not even a year. Yeah. Uh, and so we met through my sister-in-law. So shout out to my sister-in-law, Lindsay. Um, and it's just so amazing to be a part of a community. Um, I've lived here in Bellingham almost all my life. Um, stayed at home with my boys when they were little. And um, currently I am a school district employee. So I love um, working at an elementary school here in town and that fills my um, just a part of me right that feels like a certain aspect of who I am and what I want to do but then realizing that yoga really is something that was so special to me and I started realizing after the 200 hours and going to your workshops and different you know classes throughout um, throughout our community and learning from different teachers I kind of realized that um that I did want to teach and I wanted to share what it's meant to me and my path. And so that's kind of how it led into 
menopause because over the years, I, I kind of thought I was going crazy. I had all these weird sim- symptoms, heart palpitations, um, dry skin, itchy, itchy skin, you know, just all these different weird symptoms that were something that I didn't really know what it was and neither did my general practice doctor. And so a lot of times when you see your GP, they just kind of like, oh yeah, you're fine. No big deal. Put some lotion on or take some ibuprofen and, um, you know, so that kind of led me to, um, learning more about myself as a woman, but then also paying attention to my cycle and really diving deeper into, um, my forties. And so it kind of led me to learning more about menopause. And then, um, yeah, I actually just completed, uh, training. And so I am a certified menopause yoga teacher and, um, we're just at the very beginning stages of offering it to our community, but I think, um, bringing awareness and some more knowledge. And that's um, why I was so happy to pair with Jen and, uh, and get something started for our community. I, that's really beautiful. Um, and both of you said something that was kind of an echo of what the other one said that I wanted to just highlight really quickly is, um, Jennifer said like her, your, um, medical practice has kind of grown with you (laughs) to what's relevant in your life. And Kelly, you said kind of the same thing. And it's also like, it's, it is really when you're kind of holding support for a community, the things you have to offer grow with you (laughs) and what you're experiencing and what's relevant for you. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's really, it's wonderful to see that both of you are stepping into these spaces. Um, also, Kelly, what you just said that there is like, there is a significant, and I think we can dig into this more later, but there's a pretty significant gender divide in the way that we're offered healthcare, I think, and the ways that we can go into our general practice doctors and it can be kind of dismissive, um, like, eh. or like, we just don't really know. And so you seem fine. <laughs> yeah, You're not obviously dying. And so good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which is kind of, it's, it's really a bummer place to be. And that is what often leads to, um, people, one of two things I think kind of happens, right. Is either we feel really crazy and, or we end up being the person who's like, won't stop looking for the answer (laughs) and ends up finding, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hopefully people like you. Yeah. Um, before we go a lot farther though, um, Jennifer mentioned in what you were saying about yourself, um, perimenopause. And so you're both, both kind of focused from different angles on supporting women through this like transitional space of menopause, but can we define for people that are listening menopause and perimenopause and how we kind of identify both of those things? Because I'm, um, kind of, I would consider myself like a wellness nerd. I just like to know things. And, um, it was pretty recently, like in the last couple of years that I even knew perimenopause was a thing (laughs) and that maybe I was heading in that direction. (laughs) Yeah, I think that perimenopause is like a really, even though it's obviously not a new concept, I think it is It is a new concept to many of us, including me. I really wasn't taught very much about perimenopause. So menopause is um, the time when our ovaries stop functioning, stop making estrogen, and it's defined by one year of no menstrual period. So um, you don't qualify as menopausal until you've been 366 days without a period. Um, the average age of menopause in the United States is 51. The so uh, young. Oh, does it? It's, 51 is so young. <laughs> the, uh, the range is 45, the normal range is 45 to 55. 
Um, but you know, our ovaries don't stop functioning in a very linear way. Our ovaries stop functioning in a very non-linear pattern. So it has periods of over estrogen production and really decreased estrogen production. And that's really in the five to 10 years before that final menstrual period. Um, it's typically defined by changes in period and then symptoms. So it's what we call a clinical diagnosis. We don't generally use labs to, uh, to make that diagnosis. Um, but it's a really confusing time period because you don't know you've been through your final menstrual period until you've been through your final menstrual period. Mm. And so this time period beforehand for a lot of people, they really just don't know what's going on. And, and you can certainly have regular menstrual periods and be perimenopausal, um, which confuses people, doctors in particular, even more. Um, and so, yeah, those are the two times menopause, no period for a year and then perimenopause the five to 10 years. So that could be from the ages of 35 to um, 50, really wow. as young as 35. Yeah. yeah, that's a big range. It is a big range. <laughs> when you say that it's a clinical diagnosis, uh, like perimenopause, um, what sort of what sort of symptoms might people come in with or present with that would make you like start to think in that direction that would peak up your spidey senses? <laughs> I mean, historically, OBGYNs are really taught that menopause and menopause symptoms, the only really important ones are hot flashes and night sweats. And uh, of course, those are classic symptoms, but they often develop much later and closer toward the final menstrual period. And so the most common symptoms that I hear about in the time before the period start becoming irregular or very irregular is mood changes. I would say mood changes is probably one of the number one um, complaints. So irritability, um, sometimes rage uh having sort of like a decreased fuse or decreased ability to like tolerate people in life um sleep changes in sleep patterns is a big one so waking up at 2 a.m is probably mm -hmm. the second most common thing i hear and often with that comes new onset uh, anxiety so waking up at 2 a.m with racing thoughts um sort of thing uh, and then the rest that I hear are, um, I guess, achy joints would probably be the third one that people don't realize are perimenopause. Interesting. Symptoms. Um, yeah. So those are the three biggest ones I hear that aren't hot flashes and night sweats um, that are during this time that, that many doctors will be like, eh, you're fine. That's uh, normal. You're just getting old. <laughs> but I also think there's, I think, close to 80 different symptoms now. Yeah. And so for myself, like I had ringing in my ears, like just really random, odd things, um, nausea. And then I, as I was tracking my cycles, I realized that every time I got nauseous, it was maybe around ovulation or right before my cycle would start. Um, yeah, there's just so many bloating. Yeah. Aches, Worsening PMS. Yeah. Foggy mm -hmm. brain, tingling mm -hmm. sensation, burning in your mouth tingling extremities, uh, itchy scalp, dry skin, itchy ears, wow. dry eyes, <laughs> so dry really vagina, think... certainly decreased yeah. libido. Mm -hmm. You really do think you're going kind of crazy because uh, for me, yeah. my doctors were just like, oh yeah, it's fine. I even went to like an ear, nose and throat specialist. Wow. Um, that I'm really curious. Um, when you're saying like mood changes in particular and like, uh, like a short fuse or rage or just um, like irritability, um, how, 
it's easy or how easy is it to tease that apart from just, um, because we're having children later and later. Um, and so some of us are like new parents in our early thirties or even by like 35 is still, a, it's kind of like a gray period, um, because we have the ability to like safely bear children later. And so it's, um, how do you kind of tease those things apart? Like life stressors that lead or like lack of support <laughs> structures that lead to like, I'm irritable and ragey cause I'm burned out. <laughs> or, or I'm perimenopausal or, or is it both? Right. I mean, that's the really complex thing about the perimenopausal time is it's this time of, um, not only are your hormones changing, but your kids are getting older. Oftentimes in our forties, our relationships are changing with our partners. Our parents are getting older, careers are changing. So it's sort of this really like tornado-ish sort of time. And it can be hard to tease out for sure. There's, um, there's no, real way to say 100% this is related to perimenopause. But often women will say, I just don't feel like myself. I didn't used to be like this. And I know that I'm stressed, but this just feels different. And um, the real way that you end up telling is that uh, you do a hormone, a trial of hormone therapy. And mm. if a woman takes estrogen and feels better, like, there's something going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, um, it's good to know. Cause it sounds like there's a, a really big, like Venn diagram of symptoms that could be like any number of life stressors. And, um, that might also be indicating that there's some other things going on hormonally. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm curious with like, a, um, do you call your practice? I think I've seen you call it online, like a micro practice. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Um, so with more people like you starting to support menopause care and like menopause for yoga, I don't think that was something I had even heard of like five or 10 years ago. Do you think that we are kind of societally at a point that we are, um, like having a different conversation about menopause and menopause care beyond just, you have hot flashes and night sweats and best of luck to you <laughs> get an ice pack. <laughs> I think we're at the very, very beginning. And I think what happens to me is because it's something I'm interested in, something that I surround myself by. So I think everybody else is talking about it, but I'm still, I still see patients. I mean, I still see, you know, I shouldn't say still, because I think this is such a new evolution, but I think Kelly would agree that in our workshop, we see people that were sort of like rocking their worlds right out of the gate with stuff that, uh, we think like everybody knows now because we're surrounding ourselves with people that know these things. Um, but I think that the tide is starting to turn a little bit. You know, there was that big piece in the New York Times that came out in um, February of 2023 about menopause. Yes. You know, Oprah's talking about it. Uh, Michelle Obama's talking about it. So I think there's a, we're starting to get a little bit of momentum. Yeah, I would agree. I think that, I think that as women, we are often told to, you know, be quiet and keep our opinions to ourselves. And as I've kind of navigated through my teacher training and I'm now in my mid forties and I am a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> I'd like to say, and, um, it's hard, it's hard to draw those boundaries and be an advocate for yourself. And so I think that it's the women that are going to be taking charge and, you know, shouting from the rooftops. One of the, um, one of the participants in our 
workshop said that she's like, we should be shouting from the rooftops. Like, why are we not talking about this? Anytime the word menopause is said, it's kind of like this hush hush, like thing that no one talks about. And that has been what our society has done. And I think we're just kind of tired of it and it should be talked about. It should be something that, you know, is passed on generation to generation. Um, I'm very fortunate that I still am able to talk to my mom about it and, um, and just the more I talk about it, the more I hear women just going, yes, like let's have these conversations. And it's, it's very exciting, but I think that there's a lot of work to be done. And, um, when it's not talked about and there's very little funding for, um, you know, just the, the whole world of menopause and Jen, you might even be able to speak to this when you were going to school to be a doctor, like what percentage of your training focused on menopause, probably very little, right? Like there's just no education out there. And so when we go to our general practice doctors, they don't know. Right. Yeah. And, so, and then that leaves us with, <clears throat> all these symptoms and this lack of knowledge. And so we're kind of out of luck. Yeah. Um, suffering, right. We're just all suffering and like doing our best because that's mm -hmm. what we're told to do. Like when you did, um, for those are, that are listening and that don't have a video feed of this, it was like when you did the like whisper of menopause, like hand by the <laughs> mouth, it reminds me a little bit of like 25 years ago or something like therapy was talked about in the same way. Like they're going to therapy. <laughs> don't talk about it. Now it's like everyone talks about going to therapy. Um, and you also just said something about funding. And I discovered when I was doing some in, uh, research, for this conversation, there's a lot of information online about this topic. It is, it actually is a hot topic, um, menopause and perimenopause, but I discovered that of all federal funding for women's health research, that menopause receives 0.003%, um, of all of the money in federal funding and of $5 billion that's allocated to women's health research, menopause specific research received $15 million. <laughs> so you already started to allude to it, Kelly, but I was wondering if you both wanted to weigh in just a little bit more about how that lack of funding in research is actually affecting like our real time, everyday access to care and support and information. Yeah, I think that there is, uh, you know, you said there's there's a lot of information out there. There's also a ton of misinformation. And that's also what's really hard is sort of piecemealing out the information and the misinformation, because I do think it's a hot topic. And, and we're sort of a, I think vulnerable might be too strong of a word group, but like we're hungry for answers and it's easy for people to come at us. Um, and uh, yeah, funding is a huge problem. I mean, of course, in, in residency, I had very little training um in menopause and i i think that's going to be a really difficult thing to change i mean that has been true you know over the the history of time right like we know more about viagra than like <laughs> we're ever really gonna know about birth control and we knew more about viagra in like the first year after it was developed than we ever you know did about women's hormones so I think the other thing that is really important when it comes to menopause care and funding is the way that our healthcare system is set up. I think that's as bad, if not more bad than the funding for research is the way that um, we uh, reimburse physicians and providers for women's healthcare. And I think dictates a lot of that training and how much your doctor knows and how much time they have and that sort of thing. So I think it's twofold. Mm-hmm. 
and um a call out too that like don't get your don't believe everything you read on social media <laughs> um about yeah. some of these topics because they are really it's when it, it's exactly what you said is like we're we want answers and we're looking for information and um to to make sure your information's coming from a reliable source is um, it's, yeah, and it's really difficult to tell. I think, especially on social media, where we're getting so much of our information, um, you know, we have chiropractors that are advertising themselves as hormone experts, hmm. um, and so and so many people can call themselves doctor now, and so you really have to dig deep if you're going to take advice from a Instagram person influencer. about what actually, yeah, an influencer <laughs> exactly. What are their actual qualifications? I think it's really hard to figure out. Yeah. Um, and so in part, hopefully like in person or zoom with a, like a qualified professional, yes, <laughs> probably yes. your best bet. Yeah. Um, we talked just a second ago or a minute ago about stress and like, so, like inside that Venn diagram of like, all of us are, are really affected by stress and chronic stress in this day and age. It's, it's everywhere and kind of unavoidable. Um, but I wonder, like, there is some good evidence that stress and like hormonally, though, the way it affects men and women are different. And you also just said it a little, you encapsulated it really well with the bit about Viagra. <laughs> like, we know so much more in a way about how these things affect men. But I'm curious, like at a hormonal level, how, how stress sort of is unique in its impact on a woman's body. Uh, well, estrogen and cortisol, so cortisol is our stress hormone. And estrogen is the hormone that decreases as we start to get closer to menopause. They are very closely related. So increase cortisol, decrease estrogen, <laughs> increase estrogen, decrease cortisol. And so they're very uh, closely related. So women who experience high levels of stress have high levels of cortisol are more likely to have lower levels of estrogen. And it's both cause and effect. You can have lower levels of estrogen because you have higher levels of cortisol and vice versa. Um, but, you know, women have, I mean, people have long-term effects from chronic stress and chronic cortisol exposure. Um, heart disease, brain disease, risk of stroke, um, mental health, you know, issues. And so uh, I think they're decreasing estrogen um, increases the cortisol, which increases our stress level. So that is certainly a part of perimenopause and menopause. So it can be a little bit like a vicious cycle at mm -hmm. the level of our hormones is that we get, we get kind of stuck on that hamster wheel and it becomes increasingly difficult to get off. hundred <laughs> percent. Right. Yeah. So for example, waking up in the middle of the night at 2 AM, um, is both elevated cortisol and decreased estrogen are the causes of that but then you wake up and you don't sleep so you have more stress so you have more cortisol so you have decreased estrogen and then you get more and more uh, night sweats and yes exactly it's sort of this uh, hamster wheel effect yeah and even that like the lack of sleep impacts the foods that we crave which impacts our hormones and so it, yeah it becomes this like really slippery slope very quickly um yeah and so on like kind of continuing that train of thought does then when we experience chronic stress and unmanaged stress because i think that for a lot of us that's what 
kind of chronic stress actually is. It's just that we don't quite know how to manage it or to ever get ahead of it enough to, to break the cycle. But when we, when chronic stress is just an ongoing sort of low grade experience that we have in our lives, let's say through like our twenties and into our thirties, how does that set us up for a different experience of perimenopause and menopause? Like, does it impact the way that those transitions happen in our body? And what, like, what is the difference if we come in from like, I'm really regulated most of my life versus I've been in this high stress lifestyle since I can remember. Yeah. And I think this is really also where like Kelly and I's idea about doing the yoga menopause workshop comes in is that one of the things I really try to tell people and, and I'm not really getting most women until they're 40, but like, um, that our whole, like, I think of our thirties and forties as really preparing us for menopause. So I heard this really great metaphor about how everything we do now is like putting money in a bank account that we can take out after we go through menopause. And so certainly managing stress is one of those things. And the younger we can start building that bank account, the more we're going to have in the end. And the easier it is, because just like interest compounds, that bank account sort of compounds on itself. And so if you're a 20 or 30 year old that's chronically stressed, that doesn't self-prioritize. When you get 40 and you have two children and aging parents, you're going to be even less likely to prioritize yourself. And then when you're, you know, and it just keeps going on and the stress gets worse and, you know, you start feeling worse. And so I think that really particularly for women in their late thirties and early forties, I tell them that like, this is probably the second most important time for them to double down on, you know, self-care, but in a really nuanced way and in their health, you know, the first seemingly most important time is pregnancy, but this is the one that's going to give us the payoff. It's going to help us live longer and better to start putting money in that bank account now. And I think that stress reduction is probably one of the number one things people can do to start building that bank account. Do you find that when you recommend, um, like stress management to people that they, um, know what to do (laughs) with that? Or, um, I think that's where we sometimes get in my experience with conversations about people with stress and stuff like that is like, great. I know I need to do something about it, (laughs) but what, hundred percent. Right. I mean, especially because women, you know, we're so used to, to not prioritizing ourselves and giving to other people. But I do think that there is some power in giving women permission and saying like, okay, you, you know, whatever it is that, that helps you, whether it's yoga or acupuncture or massage for, you know, me to say to someone, I want you every month, every two weeks to get this done. And this is no longer negotiable. And I think that women need permission. A lot of women feel like they need permission. I don't think that they do need permission, but, but it is hard, you know, they're already stressed and they're like, great, one more thing I have to do. But, um, I think that actually also when they come and sit with me in my office, they're spending a decent amount of money and spending an hour to an hour and a half of time. And I think they're starting to get, yeah, they're ready to hear it. Yeah. Well, and when you get to that age where you are starting to have symptoms and you're, you're having health issues and chronic stress and all those things, it is kind of like, you need to have that permission for someone to say like, you need to slow down and you need to focus on yourself, especially as women, we give, we give, we give, we have all these different layers. Like I said, at the beginning, like I'm a mom, I'm an employee. I'm, you know, I do all these things for other people and with chronic stress for myself, 
I didn't realize how bad it was until it added up layer by layer and it just became my new normal. And I just, I was way up here all the time and it really was the pandemic. And then my teacher training that brought me back down and grounded me and made me realize that, you know what, I am my own best advocate and I need to do things that bring me back to myself because I'm up here. I'm go, 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 go. I'm super stressed out. I'm not in my body at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm flying high and doing all the things. And I wore myself out. I got to the point where I literally wore myself out. And I think many people, men and women in our society just think that like, you got to do all the things and be, be here and, you know, live your life and at the same time, like live to society standards. Mm-hmm. So they're reaching for all these different goals and all these different things. And it really, there's a lot of hurt. external pressure. Yes. Yeah. I was actually thinking when Jennifer was talking and you said it, um, about at the very beginning, when you were talking about all the hats you wear or the roles that you play to different people in your life and how, um, we are often the last thing on our own long to-do list of other obligations that we have to meet for other people. Um, I remember, I don't want to out you and your personal experience, Kelly, but I, I do remember having a conversation with you, um, during our teacher training program about like, fi- like finally hitting that wall was like, I got sick and it was a relief. Yeah. Oh. Um, cause I couldn't do anything. I had to rest. My stress was so bad that I got shingles. Yeah. And I've had it twice. And that was literally my body yelling at me saying, slow the heck down lady. And so it really was, it was the pandemic. And then going through my teacher training that it really made me realize that I'm saying, yes, I'm doing all these things. I don't have any good boundaries for myself or any of my loved ones. And I was just doing everything and not focusing on myself. And so as I get to my mid forties, And that's kind of where I'm at with sharing my practice. And I, when I do teach, I say that at the beginning, like, this is my practice. This is, these are things, tools, breath work, um, body movement, anything that I can share with you, whether, you know, Jennifer and I are wanting to share podcasts and books and resources to share what we have learned with other people. And so I think that, um, yeah, it was my body yelling at me to slow down and, I'm giving myself that permission and it's hard. It's hard when you have a gazillion to do thing, you know, to do lists and things that need to get done. Um, but you can't really give back to others if you are completely exhausted and not able to function. Mm-hmm. A, a little bit um, jumping ahead here in the progression of things, but when you're offering these sort of tools to people like breath work and meditation and yoga, um, what what sort of response do you have? Like, how does it land for people who are maybe experiencing these things for the first time or in a different way? Yeah. You know, I had a participant just from last weekend's class and it's, this is just a, you know, regular gentle hot the flow class that I'm teaching at our, our local YMCA here in town. And, um, this, this woman came up and, um, she, she just goes, thank you so much. I really needed to hear that. And it just, you know, I'm speaking to my own experiences, but I'm also wanting it to be something that, that tells them they can slow down. Right. That tells them like, and I even say when I'm when we're in a pose, I'm like, this is something you can do when your coffee's brewing. Like I, I, 
very often I hear from people like, oh, I'm not flexible enough or, oh, I don't have time. And I get it because that was me years, years ago that I just never made that time for myself. And so it's these little tools that you can do throughout your day, whether it's sitting with your cup of coffee or taking your dog for a walk and just having those little tiny moments throughout your day that recenter you. So you're not just always up here, super stressed out, you know, what's coming next, what's coming next. And, um, it's allowed me to really be present and, um, yeah, I'm so excited to share it. It's it. And it is that returns back to what we said at the very beginning of like your, your own embodied experience of having done all those things is now like acting as a, as both a reflection and a permission Mm -hmm. at, again, not that we need permission for these things, but it's just this reminder that like you can take um, agency, even if it's five minutes to do a pose or a breathwork practice where while your coffee's cooling down, like you can create some kind of space for yourself in whatever capacity that you have. And some is better than none. I think uh, the other thing Kelly said that was um, really powerful is this sort of, I think there is so much, um, there is so much power in acknowledgement and like, you know, people feeling that sense of not being alone and not experiencing these things in a silo. And I think that's what the community and the idea of the workshops is like, you know, we, it's, it's interactive at the end of our workshop, we do a Q and A and um, there's always a lot of Q and A. And I think it's, there's, there is just so much power in, in, decreasing that sense of feeling alone, which then leads to shame and stigma and all of those things. And so I think talking about things, acknowledgement and then permission, I think are so powerful. I totally agree with that. And it's something that we see, um, or that I see a lot in like group facilitation is most of us have, when we get in our heads or we're stressed out, or it's often because we think it's like, it's just me. Mm -hmm. I'm the only person that's having this terrible experience or this, this thought or this way, like it's just me. And then when we start to hear that other people have like even different flavors of something that's similar or adjacent, like we start to come out of ourselves and realize like, oh, I'm not maybe alone in this thing. And that's really impactful to be, you know, we're designed to be part of communities and in social relationship with each other. And so being able to to just be validated in our experience, I think is really powerful. Yeah. The number of women I see in my office and I'd just say, I just want you to know that, you know, you're, you're not alone and this is normal. And they start crying just to know that they're not alone is uh, a pretty high number. So I I love the community. I love, you know, what Kelly and I have been able to do to help um, impact more people. I think that's, it's so, I'm so glad you guys are doing that. <laughs> so powerful. Well, and the wonderful thing is, is that you don't have to be in menopause. Like I have a couple participants at the Y that are like, but I'm already like post-menopause. I'm like, great, come. Yeah. Let's practice together. Let's have conversation. Like you can give us your insights or you could probably learn more because post-menopause is a whole new chapter that, you know, you've never been in. Um yeah. And if you're in your thirties and you're like, I don't know, guess what? Women can go through menopause at a very young age, whether that be genetics or trauma surgeries, anything like that. So we're never too, we're never too young or old to, to learn and to be in community and 
learn from each other and um yeah I'll keep building that bank account yeah to keep building to keep building the resilience bank account <laughs> yeah exactly it reminded me a little bit Kelly when you were talking about something that that I talk a lot about um physical yoga mm -hmm. practice like asana practice and the way that it is I think what can be so empowering when we start to figure out we just have this different relationship to ourselves as we get um, more and more used to practicing in different ways or like, oh, that person told mm -hmm. me to move my hand like this direction. And I've never heard that before. And it had this impact. And now I start, I understand myself just a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So getting like these little bits of information and practice and understanding how all of these things are related, like stress mm -hmm. and menopause, like how all of that is just that, like, right. That kind of hamster wheel. They're all, they're, it's all connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really, I think it can be really empowering for us to kind of um, feel like we've got just a little bit more information about how it all works. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of coming back several steps, but I, I had a couple of other questions about, um, hormones and estrogen specifically that kind of, I have been actually filtering around in my Instagram for a while. Um, I'm not so relevant to this conversation, but my mother has Alzheimer's. And so I've become very interested in cognitive functioning and brain health and how to protect that as best we can, um, as we move through life. And so something that has popped up for me and then came up again when I was like researching to talk to both of you was the relationship of estrogen and our brain health. And now I'm thinking about it a little, um, like the bank account analogy of like building that cognitive functioning bank account too. But I was curious about, so in this, in this sort of, um, I'm making weird motions with my hands for those of you <laughs> that are listening, but with this up down relationship of estrogen and cortisol, um, how that, how that can impact our cognitive functioning as we age too, and just menopause in general. Yeah. So we know that Alzheimer's is much more likely to affect women than men. I think two times more likely to affect women than men. Um, and we know that the brain has a ton of estrogen receptors and it has estrogen receptors all over. So it has estrogen receptors, um, in the hypothalamus and the brainstem in places that control our, you know, bodily functions that we don't actually use our brain to think about. And you can, uh, there's a great TED talk by a neuroscientist who uh, shows a scan, a PET scan of a brain, premenopausal pre brain and how much it lights up because there's so much metabolism versus postmenopausal and um, how there's uh, sort of decreased activity postmenopausally. Um, and so there has, so the, there is a lot of controversy, I think, and I mean, maybe not a lot, but there's some controversy in sort of the menopause world about the effect of hormone replacement therapy and the protection of cognitive function. Um, and it looks like in women who start estrogen replacement, so keeping that estrogen level higher through the perimenopause have a decreased risk of Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is women who already have some sort of dementia, so women that are in their 60s or 70s um, who have symptoms of dementia who start estrogen therapy will uh, has a potentially increased risk of exacerbating or worsening their cognitive function. So there's very much this idea of this sort of what we call window of opportunity, where is the safest time to start hormone replacement therapy and 
provide benefits, the most including, benefit. yeah, exactly. Is when we're, yeah, is when we're younger before we've started down the, down the path of cognitive decline. Exactly. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So we don't, you know, prescribe hormones really for um, those sort of protective benefits, but it is an added, an added bonus. Uh, so cognitive, cognitive decline, preventing that cognitive decline is one of them. And I could be wrong about this, so feel free to correct me, but it's I, the research about a lot of the, like, the cognitive benefits of hormones and hormone replacement therapy is, like, pretty cutting edge at this point, isn't it? It's, like, still very new and breaking, and we're learning a lot of things. For sure. And the way that studies are done varies so much. And so, you know, I think it was, like, two months ago, they came out with a study that said hormone replacement therapy increases the risk for cognitive decline. Um, but there were a bunch of problems with the study. I don't remember the specifics of it, but more recently, another study came out that's better um, and bigger that shows significant improvement. And so that's what's really hard, I think, too, about medical sciences. You're going to get studies from all over the place. And so oftentimes when you're listening to these people, um, these influencers, it's it's not that hard to cherry pick the study <laughs> results that you want <laughs> Yeah, to prove your point. Um, and a lot of them are... Um, lab studies, but the other problem with hormone studies is that there's so many different formulations. There's so much different timing in starting them, and there's so much difference um, in women generally. And so it's very difficult to bring the studies together to prove things in a big way. I was just going to say, because none of this is happening in a vacuum, right? We all are coming in with like environmental stressors or other things or um, like pre-existing conditions, like diet differences so there's like any infinite number of factors that can also impact our hormones and our cognitive health and so then I imagine yeah it can get really tricky to to try to tease out um is this beneficial or not but it's yeah I think it's really interesting and there's some really interesting implications for those of us that are (laughs) for sure now coming into the conversation of menopause and perimenopause and what it means for us and I think it's an interesting I think it's possible that we're going to start to see an interesting shift in the conversation. So historically, you know, um, hormone, when you talk about hormones, you talk about breast cancer risk. That's what people love to bring up is breast cancer risk. And, um, what, what we don't talk about is Alzheimer's and cardiovascular disease, which is much more common and much more likely to kill you than breast cancer. Um, and so that narrative I don't know exactly how that narrative got started, but But just to be um, clear, the concern is that increased estrogen increases our risk of breast cancer. Is that what you're saying? uh, Right, right, right. That's that's what people are saying. Okay. Right. So, you know, that's historically what there's a long history with the WHI study with some Mm -hmm. poor data that came out that has scared women and doctors for the last 20 years. And we spent so much time focusing on that single thing and have failed to talk about Alzheimer's and cardiovascular disease. And so I think we might start to see a shift where we start talking about that more. It'll be, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see the way that the conversation and and studies and research evolves over the next several years, because I mean, hopefully there's, hopefully the tide is turning a little bit as this just becomes a more prevalent conversation and women are, are asking more of their healthcare providers. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Do you find that as a provider, there are, is there a shift in, um, when people are coming in and, and asking questions, um, 
well, you, you already said that there's a lot of misinformation, but are people coming in with different types of questions than they have historically about menopause health and support? Well, I do think that a lot of women that I see now, I think have a lot of the same influence or like they're more in the menopause world. So they tend to um, ask a lot of the same things that I hear people talking about. Um, I think that they're starting to ask a little bit younger and they're starting to become more self-aware and they're starting to become more willing to, I think, question their primary physician, care physicians, or question the idea that like, this is just normal, this is okay. And they're coming in and they're, they're not okay with being dismissed. They're not okay with being told you're just getting older. You just have to deal with this. So I think people are coming in, maybe not with different questions, but I think more, a little bit more empowered and advocating for themselves than historically. That's a a positive, a positive thing to hear. Do you think that's true as well, Kelly? Like when you're working with people in in this capacity, do you feel like people are coming in um, in a space of self-advocacy and empowerment and kind of ready to to ask for what they need or ask questions to have things I work where was they actually gonna, them where they are? Yeah, I was going to chime in and say, I think that's like the number one thing I would say is be your own advocate. You are your own expert of your body. No one else knows your partner, your mom, your general practice doctor, your chiropractor, like no one knows your body, but you. And so when you go to your provider, if they're not listening, um, if they're just kind of giving you little band-aids, you know, oh, take this or take that. And, um, I was having like really bad scalp issues and my GP who I love was like, oh, it looks like it's just eczema. So I put some stuff on it that she gave me. And lo and behold, two years later, I just took myself to the dermatologist and it's not eczema. So, um, you know, just being your own advocate and asking for what you need. And so oftentimes when I am teaching, I, I offer that, like, take what you need. I'm here as your guide, but you take what your body needs. And there's no way for us to truly be able to navigate and get what we need without listening to what our body is saying. Um, and for so many years I wasn't listening and, um, and I think that's, that's where the, the yoga path has had led me to learning more and more about menopause. And I'm just, um, so thankful for that because a lot of times people just don't know. And so, yeah, slowing down and really being in tune with yourself and being your own advocate and asking for, for what you need, whether it be support or guidance or medication, um, yeah, I think there's just so many different layers um, to it, but yeah, being your own advocate for sure is is one of the tools that I would offer and also like tracking your cycle and paying attention, right? Like paying attention yeah. to what your body is saying. <laughs> so yeah, um, you did mention that earlier and the, the tracking and the way that I imagine that can be really helpful in sort of narrowing down like what I was calling that Venn diagram earlier of like, is this this thing or is this related to the way my hormones shift over the course of a month yeah, um, yeah. or or longer as, as that starts to change and we're moving into this menopausal period? Well, and then you can go to your general practice doctor and with all this knowledge, here's where I'm at. This is what's happening with me. 
And so when they try and like maybe kind of shove it off or say, oh yeah, you know, see in six months, you can say, no, this is what's happening. This is what is going on in my body. And I want answers. I don't want a band-aid. I want you to help me navigate, but I know it's hard because oftentimes your general practice doctor only has a very short window of time. And so that's where, you know, someone like Jennifer comes into play and, you know, you find someone that is willing to sit and listen and offer you tools and guidance and that the time to really dive deeper into what's really going on. Yeah. I think you bring up an important point is that when we're in our really, um, most general practitioner offices, they have about a 15 minute window, if that, (laughs) to see you, to hear what you need and give you something or nothing, and then get out (laughs) onto the next person. It's a very short window. If you have, um, anything that's remotely complex to talk to them about. And I think it can take a really long time. Um, I, I, I also like at a pretty young age felt really dissatisfied by that. Like it was not the experience that I wanted. It actually was when I had kids, when my kids were babies and I took one of my kids in for like a routine check or something, my oldest, when he was an infant. And I remember seeing, they accidentally had left the screen on when they left the room. And there was like this like this list of like 40 people (laughs) that were all coming in like 20 minutes later because there's so many doctors. And I was like, they can see us for like 10 minutes. These people aren't even gonna know my name when I leave or who I am, Um, which is really different from the relationship I have with the doctor I see now who I can, um, she'll give me a full hour of her time and she knows me and she's known me for years. And I feel less like she's dictating to me what I need to do and more like um, she's my partner. in, in, uh, which direction I want to go with my health or that, you know, she, we can have a real conversation. And she's like, do you think you're actually going to do this thing I'm recommending? And I can be like, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then then the the conversation evolves from there in a way that's most supportive. Um, but having somebody like Jennifer and you, who's like a partner for people to, to empower them to kind of take a little bit of ownership of, of their own path, I think is, it's pretty special when you, get a little more time. <laughs> and it is really yeah. special. We're all on our own journeys, right? Our, our bodies are all so different and we're going to go through different seasons, different, different symptoms. There's so many different ways that menopause can show up in our body. And so there's no two paths that are the same. And so finding someone that can, yeah, hold you accountable, right? Like even your doctor to be like, are you really going to do this? <laughs> um, but to offer you things that are going to work. Cause what works for me is going to be different that mm-hmm. for you and you and you and you. And so, yeah, just offering, um, a safe kind of a safe space where you can learn and figure out who you are and what you need and what you want. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I'm a little nervous for menopause, but I'm, I'm excited to, to go through that transition and learn more about who I am and who I want to be post-menopause. Cause I'm, I'm done having babies. I'm done with that portion of my life. And yeah, my body's, um, it's talking to me and yeah, you have to listen in order to know how to support yourself. So, and I, um, what I hear you saying too, that I think is really beautiful is that there is this, this wisdom that comes on the other side of that, that's, um, doesn't get enough acknowledgement as like, as we, cause that's not our societal way <laughs> is that, Um, we don't really, we don't really honor like aging and kind of eh, it's like out there. (laughs) 
Um, and, and there's this wisdom that we gain as we have these life experiences. And it's, um, it's actually really, it's a really beautiful thing to hear you say that you're kind of like excited to see what's on the other side. Cause there's, there's so much time and so many things still to do for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you both have mentioned a couple of times about the community that you're creating and the, is it called menopause and movement? What are your workshops called? So for me, when I was, you know, navigating, like starting a business here, I'm going to start teaching yoga. Okay. This is what I'm going to do. I, I, I know that a lot of times when I talk to people about yoga, they say, Oh, I'm not flexible or, Oh, I can't go, you know, I can't do those classes. And I get it. I've been to studios and there's some hard vinyasa classes out there that I physically cannot do. Yeah. I've been there, done that. I did that in my twenties. It's great. Um, but that's not what serves me right now. So, um, I had the idea of calling it movement with Kelly. Um, cause that's what I want to offer. I want it to be where we can move and be in our bodies, but then with teaming up with Jennifer, like we want it to be a menopause movement where we are debunking all the myths and breaking down all the stereotypes and, and having a space where we can learn and grow and transition through the stages of menopause together and build community and yeah, and I don't know. inside of the, inside of the workshops that you're offering together, what is, what is sort of the arc of what are you all, how long are they? What, what are you offering? What's the time? Like, and just like, give yeah. us this, give us the preview of coming yeah, attractions. So we're starting out and we're offering an hour and a half. So we decided to kind of split it 50, 50 and I would do, um, 45 minutes of movement. So, bringing everyone into the space, <laughs> making sure everyone's settled and offering just gentle movements. And so the first few classes are more geared more towards stress, um, stress management and how stress affects the body and, um, and through all the stages of menopause and just life in general. And, um, and then once we kind of get some movement done and offer tools, um, for people to then use at home, because again, we're also busy. And so coming to a yoga studio on a regular basis isn't doable for many people. So it's really important for me to offer tools that people can try at home. Right. And so, um, once that portion is done that I hand it over to Jen and, um, do you want to speak to a little bit about what you want to offer? Yeah. So I usually do, um, about a 15 or 20 minute talk and I try to, I, I change it a little bit, but it's sort of generally like a perimenopause, peri slash menopause. So it relates to both perimenopause and menopausal women, um, sort of 101. So an intro to what it is, what you might be experiencing, um, what you can expect, and then a little bit um, into hormone replacement therapy. And then I try to save lots of time for questions and answers. Cause I think that's really for my portion that's what I find the most fun to do. And I think people get pretty engaged. And usually once you get one person asking a question, it's like, boom, boom, boom. Floodgates <laughs> open. Exactly. <laughs> and a lot of things that they're asking are the things that I'm so excited that they're asking about, you know, things that their friends are doing, or maybe things that, you know, testosterone pellets, I would say pellets is like the number one thing that comes up, but I love it because it's not something that I necessarily bring up, but it's when they bring it up, it's such a, great time to talk about some of the misinformation and the different things that are offered and, and the way those things are offered in a safe or unsafe way. 
This is one I haven't heard of. Are, is, uh, is this like a common thing that's floating around out there that we should be taking testosterone to support us through menopause? Well, uh, well, testosterone replacement is a relatively controversial topic um, that's becoming uh, more talked about. But there are um, different ways that we give hormones. So uh, there are these things called pellets, which are like these little, you know, rice sort of things that they inject under people's skin. And so mm -hmm. testosterone is one of them. But it's an incredibly risky way to take testosterone and an incredibly risky way to take hormones generally. But um, a lot of people don't know that. Is the idea that it time releases if it's under your skin like that? I think so. You know, I think they give it, they do it once every three or four months, but um, you can't regulate it at all. You can't, once it's in, you can't take it out. Um, right. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of issues with it, but, but I love that the people, the, the women there ask these questions so that, um, cause it's, that's what's on their mind. Oh, my friend is taking is in testosterone pellets. Like, tell me what you think. Yeah. Yeah. See the floodgates. Yeah. <laughs> like, tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> I have questions. Yeah. So I think our, our workshops definitely have, um, it's a really nice foundation and the, each time we, Jen and I meet, you know, we meet for coffee or drink and have a little visit and talk about what we want to do next. And so we have so many ideas that we're just like laying the foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my hope is that, yeah, we have a really wonderful community that keeps coming back and we learn together and um, just add on layer by layer. Like that's where we were starting was the basics, stress and, you know, just the basics of what she can offer to educate us on hormone re replacement therapy and um, just answer questions. Cause I think that's part of it is learning from each other, like going through the teacher training. And every time I go to a yoga class or a workshop, I just, I learned so much about others, but then learned so much within myself. And, um, and I think that's what the community could be is just diving deeper into, into menopause and each journey is going to be so different, but honoring each other and, um, and being there to learn and grow and just having a nice, really wonderful, supportive community. So we have some some things up our sleeves that we're, yeah, we're starting to do some well, in that In that way, community is its own kind of stress support tool is that, um, those like, actually, I'm sure you know this, but that like loneliness is one of the major indicators of like early death is when we're lonely. And so that's like the, having that kind of community is it's, it's its own form of stress relief, particularly through transitions like these ones where we're on common ground with people. And I think for me, a huge part of that, as I'm like doing a lot of self-reflection and, and time to myself and just trying to really ground into where I'm at in the stage of my life is that I will be going through menopause. I'm already in perimenopause. And then on the flip side, my parents are getting older and my kids are going to be, you know, graduating and out of the house. And I just that's when the, like, the panic sets in. And then I have to remember, like, here are the tools. These are my people. Like, we can all be there to support each other because everyone's journey is going to be so different. But we all have that common space where we want to come and nurture ourselves and take care of ourselves and one another. And it's just, hmm. yeah, it's beautiful. I'm really excited. And so right now you're offering these as kind of individual one-time things, or this is intended to be from the outset a series. 
Well, I think that's where we're kind of still trying to figure out what's going to work. Um, we are currently kind of looking at different spaces within our community, um, just trying to find the right space that will um, hold us in that um Maybe it's monthly. And then if the monthly classes start going well, then, you know, I don't know. It just depends on our schedules and what we have time to offer. Um, but for now, it's we did one and then the second one kind of got um, pushed aside for a couple different reasons. And so, yeah, maybe once a month to start out. You have another one coming up, though. I think I just saw on the socials. When is the next one and where? <laughs> Um, it is next Saturday, so November 18th, right, Jennifer? Yep. <laughs> November 18th um, is next Saturday. Yeah. And yeah, we're we're very much looking forward to it. And um yeah, I, I would say monthly for now, and then we'll we'll see what happens. Where are where are you hosting this one that's next Saturday? And where can we find out more information about it? So the next workshop will be at the YMCA here in town, and you can go to their website um, and call to register. So it's free for members, which is great. And then um, a very nice, um, accessible fee for non-members. And um, yeah, it's at 1045. So just do like a nice hour and a half for your Saturday. And, um, and then you could follow both of us on Instagram for more details on um, future adventures and I'll put your both of your Instagrams in the show notes when I publish this but what do you want to tell us um, what your Instagram handle is before mine is movement with Kelly k-e-l-l-i yeah and mine is just the name of my clinic so uh mov underscore md and we can find, I assuming MovMD also has a website where people can find more information if they're wanting to dig in a little bit about their own um, hormones, perimenopause, menopause, all the things. Yeah, absolutely. Is linked on your Instagram. Yep. Um, any, any last kind of thoughts on tools, support, any, any lingering things that we want to add before we wrap up? I, I think, oh, go ahead, go ahead, you go ahead. Um, and again, this is just my own personal um, journey that as we navigate into fall and into winter is to just find that time to slow down and do what feels right for your body, whether it be going for a walk or meeting with a friend, laying down and taking a nap, right? Like I'm just trying for myself is to slow down. Um yeah. And enjoy, enjoy the, the season of hibernation. And sometimes it can be hard with the gray skies and, um, the, the darkness early on, but yeah, just trying to lean into giving yourself that grace and, and finding time to nurture, nurture yourself and what you're going through. Yeah. And I think that rest really is a deposit in the bank account. <laughs> yes. And I think it's an undervalued deposit into the bank account. So I, hundred percent echo what Kelly said. And I just think that, that this is just such an important time for us to, yeah, slow down and really respect our bodies and put ourselves first, even if it's uncomfortable. And I love the conversation that we're having. Like, I think this is so, this is so beautiful and powerful. And, um, and I think that this is the kind of thing I want to keep us, see us all keep doing and keep talking about. Yeah. Um, 
I love, I, I also am like really appreciative of putting some of these topics kind of front and center. And then just, um, both of you have said it a couple of times. I'm going to, I'm going to continue with the deposit in the bank analogy. <laughs> I really like that. Um, and the idea that it doesn't always have to be some unattainable thing that's like way out there that you have to go like stress relief <laughs> has to be this big whole other thing, but as like, how do we make it in a way that's like sustainable part of our lives? So we're kind of constantly all day in different ways, putting little bits in the bank that compound and add up over time so that we can live a little bit in a less, like less just exhausted and kind of at the end of <laughs> our proverbial rope and more opportunities to be like thriving through some of these changes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I am also deeply grateful to know that there are providers like you in town and local and that we have, um, for those of us that are local, we have access to so, so many great people here. And I'm so thankful, um, to know that you're out there doing what you're doing and Kelly, that you are also just offering support to people in all of these ways. It's really wonderful to, to know that these resources are there. Well, I wouldn't have been able to do it without my community, uh, including, you know, all the teachers at BYC and my my family, my friends and um, and with Jennifer and the Y. So, you know, it just it's all full circle. It's pretty wild. But yeah, very it is. Um, I'm so thankful to both of you for being here to and making time in your <laughs> busy schedules as well. Um, to talk about this and get some of this information out to people. So for everyone listening, you can find in the show notes where to find Kelly and Jennifer and Mom MD um, and the menopause movement and become part of that. And then their Instagram handles as well. Um, it, and again, if you're local next Saturday, November 18th, you can find these two at the YMCA here in Bellingham, free for members and reasonable fee for non-members. And that's all on the YMCA of Bellingham website. So all of that information will be in the show notes. And I hope um, to be able to chat with both of you again in the future. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thank, Thank you. you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. I'd love to continue the conversation with you either in the comments on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find me on social media at Kelly V Yoga or on the internet on the, under the same www.kellyvyoga.com. That's K-E-L-L-Y-V-Y-O-G-A. I'd love to hear from you about this episode, past episodes, or anything you'd like to hear about in the future. Thanks so much for, we'll catch you next time.